Good morning. Glad to be back with you. Would you please pray with me? Oh, gracious Father, we bow before you in humble adoration. We thank you that your beloved Son has called us brethren. Oh, Father, thank you for sending your Son to save your people from their sin. Father, we pray that your peace might flood our world like a river, like a river glorious. Oh, Father, would you give us peace in our hearts, peace in our minds, peace in our homes, in our cities, in our states, in our nation. Would you give us peace on earth? Father, would you cause wars to cease? Would you cause us to be blessed because we're peacemakers? We thank you for the Prince of Peace, your Son, Jesus. Father, we desire to worship him in spirit and in truth, to exalt his majestic name. And we pray to you in that name, the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Would you please open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 34? The second book of the Pentateuch or Torah, Exodus chapter 34. <clears throat> The portion of the scripture that I want to read to you this morning concerns the giving of the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, by Almighty God to His servant Moses. Would you please stand with me for the reading of Holy Scripture? Exodus 34, beginning at verse 27. The Bible says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Write thou these words, for after the tenor of these words I have made a covenant with thee and with Israel. And he was there with the Lord forty days and forty nights. He did neither eat bread nor drink water. And he wrote upon the tables the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. And it came to pass when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tables of testimony in Moses' hand, when he came down from the mount, that Moses wist not that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. And when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come nigh him. And Moses called unto them, and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. And afterward all the children of Israel came nigh, and he gave them in commandment all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. Until Moses had done speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. But when Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he took the veil off until he came out. And he came out and spake unto the children of Israel that which he was commanded. And the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone. And Moses put the veil upon his face again until he went in to speak with him. 
Well, may the Lord add His blessing to the reading of Holy Scripture. You may be seated. It's good to be back with you, brothers and sisters. We love you. When Jeannie and I were away in Rome, we visited many chapels and basilicas. And one that we walked into was called San Pietro in Vincoli. In English, that's the Basilica of St. Peter in Chains. It's what's called a minor basilica. And it's probably most famous for being the location of Michelangelo's sculpture of Moses. Michelangelo's sculpture of Moses was beautiful and interesting. Most interesting because... Michelangelo's sculpture, in Michelangelo's sculpture, Moses has horns. When I saw this, I was puzzled. And I couldn't rest until I researched it. Why does Moses have horns? And after I researched it a bit, I found that it was an interesting historical accident because of the way that the text that we just read is translated in the Latin Vulgate. In the Vulgate, you know that early Latin version of the Bible, probably the most popular version of the Bible in human history. Verses 29 and 30 of Exodus 34 in English read, And when Moses came down from the Mount Sinai, he held the two tables of the testimony and he knew not that his face was horned from the conversation of the Lord and Aaron and the children of Israel seeing the face of Moses horned were afraid to come near now most modern translators say that this should not be translated as horned but as his face shone The idea being that the face of Moses glowed with the residual glory of the Lord. From what I read, the Hebrew carries an implication of horns of light, like something radiating, something radiating from the head of Moses, something glowing, something shining. And when you see the sculpture, the horns of Michelangelo's Moses don't really look like animal horns. Not like the horns of a ram or a goat or an ox. And how would you sculpt horns of light? So Michelangelo was probably doing the best that he could with the Bible that he had. And if you want to see a picture of the sculptor of Moses, see me at lunch. But enough about that for now. The teaching of Holy Scripture is that after Moses' interaction with the Almighty, when he received the Decalogue, the law summarized that foundation of the Old Covenant, the covenant and the glory of the Lord was so glorious that, as it were, the residue of that glory clung to Moses. And the residual glory of the presence of the Lord made Moses radiate 
It made Moses glimmer and glow so that the old covenant people of God were afraid of him. So afraid that in their fear, they would not approach him. And so, to quell their fear so that he could interact with them, Moses took a veil and covered his shining face so that the horns of light, the radiating glory of the Lord, would not frighten the people of God. Now, beloved, listen, we, we know that the old covenant is the shadow and the new covenant is the substance. And I've told you before that the most oft-repeated command to the people of God in Holy Scripture is what? Fear not. Fear not. So can you not see the graciousness of the Almighty and His servant Moses, the mediator of the Old Covenant, in shielding His people from the blinding glory by veiling the face of His servant? He is most gracious. Most gracious. Well, saints... Do you remember the teaching of our Master about the Bible? He taught that the entire Bible is about Him. Do you remember that? Remember that at the time that He taught that, the Bible was only the Old Testament. It was only the Old Covenant Scriptures. But as he walked from Jerusalem to Emmaus after his resurrection, Dr. Luke records an interaction that he had with some disciples. These disciples were disturbed and confounded by what had transpired. And Jesus said to them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in the scriptures the things concerning himself. Luke 24, verses 25 through 27. Listen, saints, Jesus began with Moses. He started with the Torah, with the Pentateuch, and he progressed all the way to the prophets and then to all the scriptures, it says. And the scriptures were all about him. And after all of this, Holy Scripture records the reaction of those disciples. And they said to one another, Did not our hearts burn within us while He talked with us by the way when He opened to us the Scriptures? Verse 34. Hmm. Oh Lord, may our hearts burn within us as we find Your Son on every page of Holy Writ. Well, praise God for progressive revelation. 
And praise God for the apostolic hermeneutic. You know, those blessed occasions when the New Covenant apostles open the Old Covenant Scriptures and explicate them, giving us once and for all the definitive apostolic interpretation of the prophetic word. This is that. Praise God. Please turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. The third letter of Paul to the church at Corinth. But the letter that we call 2 Corinthians. I'll, I'll not ask you to stand again for the reading of Holy Scripture, but please stand in your heart. Remember that... This is a holy Bible. And let's hear the great apostles' commentary on the text that we just read from Exodus 34. Let's hear Paul's commentary on the horns of Moses. He writes, Do we begin again to commend ourselves, or need we, as some others, epistles of commendation to you, or letters of commendation from you? You are our letter written in our hearts, known and read of all men, for as much as you are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshy tables of the heart. And such trust have we through Christ to Godward. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God, who hath also made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. But if the ministration of death, written and engraved in stones, friends, that's the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, the Old Covenant, If that was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away, how shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? For if the ministration of condemnation be glory, much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. For even that which was made glorious had no glory in this respect, by reason of the glory that excelleth. For if that which is done away was glorious, much more that which remaineth is glorious. Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech, And not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. But their minds were blinded. For until this day remaineth the same veil, untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. For even unto this day when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. 
Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed from the same into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Well, beloved, Gentiles, Pauline Christians, disciples of Jesus of Nazareth, let me ask you a question. What should Christians think about the Ten Commandments? What should Christians think about the Old Covenant? Well, well, listen, listen. I don't think we should think anything less of it than Paul did. Do you? I don't think we should think anything less of it than Paul did. And according to 2 Corinthians 3, verse 7... According to the text we just read, Paul pronounces the Old Covenant written and engraved in stone, glorious. Glorious. Dogza. When we sing the doxology, we're offering a glory word. We're ascribing glory and praise to Almighty God. Dogza. Dogza means, listen, a good opinion. An opinion resulting in praise, honor, ascriptions of splendor, brightness, magnificence, excellence, preeminence, dignity, grace, majesty. Glory. Beloved, understand. <laughs> Paul did not have a bad opinion of the Old Covenant, and we shouldn't either. The apostolic pronouncement concerning the Old Covenant is this, glorious, glorious. Now, saints, please hear another question. What should Christians think about the New Covenant? What should, what should we think about the new covenant? Let me, let me echo my sentiments from before. I don't think we should think anything less of it than Paul does. And what does Paul think about the new covenant? The covenant that he brands the ministration of the Spirit and the ministration of righteousness, the new covenant. Well, According to 2 Corinthians 3, verses 9 through 11, according to that text that we just read, Paul pronounces the new covenant written and engraved in the hearts of men more glorious. More glorious than what, Paul? What is the new covenant more glorious than? The new covenant is more glorious than the old covenant. Now, Eric, 
Paul may not have written the apostolic letter to the Hebrews. But if he didn't, well, he and that writer sure are in full agreement. This new covenant, it's Mobetta. More glorious. The new is better than the old. The new is more glorious than the old. The law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. John 1, verse 17. This man, Jesus, was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who hath builded the house hath more honor than the house. For every house is builded by some man, but he that built all things is God. And Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things that were to be spoken after. But Christ, as a son over his own house, whose house are we, if we hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 3 through 6. Friend, a greater than Solomon has come. A greater than Jonah has come. A greater than Moses has come. Here, the teaching of the great apostle. The old covenant was the ministration of death. Verse 7. It killed anyone who was bound by it. The old covenant was the ministration of condemnation. Verse 9. It condemned everyone who was party to it. And the old covenant, that ministration of death and condemnation, that old covenant was glorious. Well, friend, listen. What's better than death? Life is. And friend, what is better than condemnation? Righteousness is. And Paul's argument here is very much a study in contrasts. Death and life. Condemnation and righteousness. Stone and flesh. Blindness and sight veiledness and open manifestation. And saints, listen, I I want you to notice something here. And especially those of you with theological interest, you you need to to understand this. Note that Paul does not disparage, deride, denigrate, or deprecate the Old Covenant. He does not. Rather, he ascribes to it dogza, glory. And saints, listen, that's what we should do. We should never disparage, deride, denigrate, or deprecate the old covenant. Like our master, we should ascribe to it glory. You see... Listen, when a faithful wife dies, a man is freed from his covenant 
with that wife. And his marriage to another does not denigrate the faithfulness and the glory of the first wife. Her honor is preserved. Her glory is retained. And Paul does not disparage, deride, denigrate, or deprecate the old covenant. Rather, he notes that like a faithful deceased wife, she has been done away. Verse 11, she's gone. She has ended, verse 13, been abolished. But her glory endures. Beloved brothers and sisters, listen. History is interesting. But Christians' primary interest in the Bible is not as a history book, though we believe that it contains real history. We don't primarily read Exodus 34 or the rest of the Old Testament to learn ancient history. Listen, we read it to discover what God's trying to tell us today. We read the Scripture to find the Word. Don't we? We read the Scripture to find the Word. Whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Romans 4, or Romans 15, 4. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and spirit of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Hebrews 4.12 The Scriptures, listen, the Scriptures teach about Scripture that they are living, that it's alive and not just a record of ancient history. God's thoughts, God's Spirit, and God's Word are in this text. And beloved, listen. When we behold Jesus in the Old Covenant Scriptures, saints, our hearts should burn within us. Just like the hearts of those saints who walked with Jesus on that road to Emmaus. It's you, Lord. It's you. When we behold Jesus in the text of the Old Covenant Scriptures, the great Apostle Paul teaches, listen, he teaches that an unveiling has occurred. And we, who believe that salvation is of the Lord, believe that a supernatural unveiling has occurred. Friend, listen. (laughs) How can one woman read a text of Holy Scripture and find nothing but an historical account of an ancient patriarch in a faraway land? But another woman reads the same text And with unveiled mind, she sees Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of the living God, pulsating, radiating, transfigured in overwhelming glory. 
blocking out the glory of Moses, overshadowing the glory of Elijah, revealing himself in a more excellent glory than patriarchs or prophets. How does that happen? By the ministration of the Spirit, Paul says. By new covenant revelation, by that wondrous action of the third person of the Holy Trinity in which He teaches the saints, unveiling their hearts, revealing Jesus of Nazareth as Alpha and Omega, first and last, all in all, Almighty God. Well, beloved, listen, if there's a practical lesson here in this Pauline exposition, maybe it's that the meaning of Holy Scripture is not self-evident. It's hidden. And Christ must reveal the meaning. We should approach our Bible reading and our Bible study with humility and prayer. We need proper interpretation, even of history, historical events, in order to understand them. And listen, it's only when we read Holy Scripture in the light of Jesus, in the light of Christ, that we will know what God's saying to us today through the Bible. And Christians universally believe God speaks to His people when they read the Bible. Don't they? Oh Lord, in Thy light shall we see light. Psalm 36, 9. Oh, shine upon us. Shine upon us. Saints, the glory of the Old Covenant was real. It was real, but it was temporary. The glory of the new covenant is real, and it is surpassing, it is excelling, it is more glorious, for it is everlasting. Yea, it is eternal. So let's review. The old covenant was written on tablets of stone, verse 7. The new covenant is written on the fleshly tablets of the heart, verse 3. Glorious and more glorious. The old covenant was the letter of the law, the minister of death. And the new covenant is the spirit of the law, the minister of life. The letter kills, the text says, but the Spirit makes alive. Verses 6 and 7. Glorious. More glorious. The old covenant was a minister of condemnation. The new covenant is a minister of righteousness. Glorious. More glorious. The glory of the old covenant abides, but has faded. 
The glory of the new covenant remains and so far surpasses the glory of the old that as the sun outshines the moon in comparison, the old appears to have no glory at all. Verses 10 and 11. Glorious. More glorious. Well, beloved, listen. Jesus is in the business of unveiling. Paul says that when Moses is read to the Jews, a veil shrouds their heart and their minds cannot perceive that Moses points to Jesus. Verse 15. Can't get it. Why, Paul? Why can't they understand? I understand. Why can't they understand? He's smarter than I am. Why can't he understand? Because there's a veil on his heart. And Paul says that any Jew that will turn to Jesus will have his mind and heart unveiled. Verse 16. So that he can perceive that Jesus has fulfilled what Moses could not. The Bible says of our crucified king, listen. Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. And the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And when the centurion which stood over against him saw that he so cried out and gave up the ghost, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. Mark 15 verses 37 through 39. All the synoptic evangelists record that. And beloved, when Jesus died, he granted access to the most holy place to the very throne room of God. And He did that by removing the veil that separated us from God. Have you seen Jesus? Have you seen Him as Savior? As King? As Lord of all? As God incarnate? Have you seen Him? If not, I pray for a grand unveiling. How strong thine arm is, mighty God. Who would not fear thy name? Jesus, how sweet thy graces are. Who would not love the Lamb? He has done more than Moses did, our prophet and our king, From bonds of hell, He freed our souls and taught our lips to sing. The law by Moses came, but peace and truth and love were brought by Christ, a nobler name, descending from above. Amidst the house of God, their different works were done. Moses, a faithful servant, stood, but Christ, a faithful son, In the Red Sea, by Moses' hand, the Egyptian host was drowned. But His own blood hides all our sins, and guilt no more is found. When through the desert Israel went, with manna they were fed. Our Lord invites us to His flesh 
and calls it living bread. Moses beheld the promised land, yet never reached the place. But Christ shall bring his followers home to see his father's face. Then shall our love and joy be full and feel a warmer flame and sweeter voices tune the song of Moses and the Lamb. Please stand with me for prayer. Let us pray. Glorious God, I bless Thee that I know Thee. I once lived in the world but was ignorant of its Creator, was partaker of Thy providences but knew not the Provider, was blind while enjoying the sunlight, was deaf to all things spiritual with voices all around me, understood many things but had no knowledge of Thy ways, saw the world but did not see Jesus. O happy day, when in thy love's sovereignty thou didst look on me and call me by thy grace. Then did my dead heart begin to beat, the darkened eye glimmer with light, the dull ear catch thy echo, and I turned to thee and found thee, a God ready to hear, willing to to save, Then did I find my heart at enmity to thee, vexing thy spirit. Then did I fall at thy feet and hear thee thunder, the soul that sinneth, it must die. But when grace made me to know thee and admire a God who hated sin, thy terrible justice held my will submissive. My thoughts were then as knives, cutting my head. Then thou didst come to me in silken robes of love, and I saw thy son dying, that I might live. And in his death I found my all. My soul does sing at remembrance of that peace. The gospel coronet brought a sound unknown to me before that reached my heart, and I lived never to lose my hold on Christ or His hold on me. O grant that I may always weep to the praise of mercy found and tell others as long as I live that Thou art a sin-pardoning God, taking up the blasphemer and the ungodly and washing away their deepest stain. In Jesus' name, Amen.